Amen. I don't know just how far into this sermon I'm going to get, but I know that I'm in the will of God right now. Amen. First Samuel, First Samuel, if you'll stay standing, First Samuel chapter 7. In a lengthy passage of reading, beginning with verse 2, it says, And it came to pass while the ark abode in Kirjath-Jerim, that the time was long, for it was twenty years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel spake unto the house of Israel, saying, If you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtoreth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. And the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtoreth and serve the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together in Mitzpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a sucking lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel. And the Lord heard him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines uh, and discomfited them. Uh, and they were smitten before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mitzvah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came unto Bethkar. And Samuel took a stone and set it between Mitzvah and Shin. And called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped. Us. I want to preach for just a few moments tonight, uh, amen, on a stone called Ebenezer, a stone named Ebenezer. Uh, would you pray with me right now in the name of Jesus Christ? Uh, I'm asking you, Lord, to loose the anointing uh, of the Holy Ghost right now. Uh, I'm asking you, Lord, to turn your power uh, and your glory loose in this place. Uh, hitherto uh, hath the Lord brought us this far. Uh, amen. You have delivered us. You have healed us. Amen. You have set us free. And you're not done yet. You are our God. In Jesus' name, would you say you're my mighty God? You may be seated. Our story began midway through the second verse. And it begins with these words. It was, or the time was long. It was a long time. It was 20 years. 
20 years since that fateful day when the Ark of the Covenant was lost in battle to the Philistines. It had been 20 years since the wicked sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas had caused God to withdraw his hand of blessing from Israel. It had been 20 years since they had carried the Ark into battle only to discover that God had not marched to war with them. It had been 20 years since the favor and the blessing Blessing and the provision of God had departed from the Israelites. 20 years of being subject to their enemies. 20 years of living in defeat. 20 years of having the fruit of their labor stolen, their harvest stolen away from them. 20 years of seeing their sons and their daughters carried away into slavery. 20 years of abject poverty. 20 years of horrific oppression. And finally... After 20 long years, the Bible said all the house of Israel lamented before the Lord. I stand amazed tonight that it took them 20 years to come to a place of repentance. I stand amazed tonight that it took them 20 years before they finally came to lament before the Lord. 20 years before they realized what a precious thing they had lost. uh, That it took them 20 years uh, to come to the place that they realized uh, in the middle of the oppression, in the middle of the problems, in the middle of the the life of defeat that they were living. I am surprised uh, that it took them 20 years to decide, uh, you know, what I think I'll cry out to God uh, and see if he can't deliver me out of this mess that I find myself in. I know I got here by my own hand. Uh, I know that I'm the one that backslid. Uh, I know that I'm the one that walked away from the house of God. Uh, But 20 years is too long to live uh, in defeat. Uh, 20 years is too long to live uh, under the curse of having turned your back uh, on God. 20 years is too long to live in bondage. And finally, after 20 years, think about it for a minute. bondage before they realize they need God. How long can you live your life going through the motions that are dead and dull and dry and empty? Live a life that has no purpose and no meaning. Live a life that's boiled down to waking up in the morning and going through your routine and going back to bed empty and destitute. How long before you realize you need God? How long before you realize you need the joy of your salvation restored? How long can you keep on going? Amen. After the glory of the Lord has departed. How long can you keep going through the motions before you realize that God isn't with you anymore? 
It took them 20, the Bible said it was a long time. It was a dark road. It was a desperate place. It took them 20 long years before they finally began to seek after God. And finally a nation began to lament, began to weep, began to pour out their heart to God. It must be a sad thing to hear a nation weep. But to the heart of Samuel, that old prophet of God, it was a wonderful thing to hear. It was what he had been listening for for 20 long years. Uh, That sound of sorrow, that sound of brokenness, uh, that sound that finally said, you know what, Uh, I've tried everything I know to try, uh, and I realize I can't do this by myself. Uh, I've tried to make it work. Uh, I've tried to ignore the trouble. Uh, I've tried to ignore the pain and the frustration, Uh, but I'm sick of living uh, in a state uh, Amen, that I'm living in. I'm sick of living in a place of chaos. I'm sick of living under the bondage of sin. I'm sick of living under the hand of an oppressor. I need to be set free. I need peace in my soul. I need restoration between me and God. I need to get some things worked out. Amen, I've been this way too long, and I'm tired of it. They begin to cry out, we need God. We need the help of God. We need the blessings of God. We need the hand. We finally realize what we lost. God, don't let it ever happen to this church. Uh, amen. That we learn to go through the services and go through the motions uh, and just put on like we're having church uh, and never even realize what we lost. Uh, don't let it ever happen to us. Uh, amen. That we don't remember what it's like uh, to worship until the preacher doesn't get to preach. Uh, that we don't remember what it's like uh, to hear the preacher say in the name of Jesus uh, and see sick bodies healed. Uh, that we don't remember what it's like uh, to see the deliverance of God uh, turn loose in the house of God uh, that we don't ever realize that we've lost a precious thing. They begin to long to have it back and Samuel began to preach to them. He began to go privately among the people and he began to tell everyone who would listen, if you want to return to the Lord, if you want to get back to where you once were, then you've got to put away the strange gods from among you. And you have to prepare your heart to serve the Lord and him only. Uh, That was the same message that Moses preached to the backslidden Israelites. Uh, It was the same message that Joshua preached uh, to the backslidden Israelites. Uh, It's the same message that's preached over and over and over again over the course of Scripture. Uh, The way back to God uh, has never changed. Uh, It's always the same uh, when you realize Realize what you've lost uh, when you lament the thing uh, that has gone from you. The way to return is always the same. It always starts with repentance. It always starts with pouring out your heart uh, in the presence of God. Uh, It always starts uh, with separating yourself unto God. Uh, It always starts uh, with putting away the things uh, that have taken you away from the presence of God. Uh, It always starts uh, with cutting off the things uh, that have cut you off uh, from the blessings of God. Uh, Some people want to lament uh, what they lost uh, and they want to try to get back uh, in the favor of God, but they don't want to put away 
away the things uh, that got them where they were, honey. You're never going to get what you need from God uh, until you cut off some things, uh, until you put aside some things, uh, until you push aside the thing that got you to where you are. The first step on the road back to the blessing and the presence and the anointing of God is always a step of repentance. It always begins with soul searching. It always begins with separating yourself unto God. The Bible tells us they put away their false gods. They put away those idols and those things that got them into the mess that they were in. They turned their heart back to heaven. And Samuel, that man of God, called the nation together at Mitzvah. And he said, come and meet me at Mitzvah, and there we will offer a sacrifice for the nation, and I will pray for Israel that you can be reconciled to God. I want you to understand something. Private repentance is always followed by public action. What you do in private always shows up in public. Uh, Samuel's going around in secret, and he's going around to the the different ones that are willing, uh, and he's preached to them, you need to repent, uh, and you need to put away your false gods. Uh, We don't don't want the Philistines to know there's revival coming. Uh, We're going to do this in secret. Uh, You need to find an altar. Sometimes you need to repent in secret. Uh, Sometimes you need to find a prayer closet, uh, because the things you need to pour out of your soul that you don't want anybody else to hear about. Honey, that's okay. You can have that kind of place. But I want you to know that private repentance is always followed by a public demonstration. And Samuel, when he felt the time was right, and when the nation had repented, he said, all right, we don't care anymore with the Philistines. Think about it. We're going to get together. We're going to have a national assembly. The ark's been gone 20 years. There hasn't been national worship uh, in the nation of Israel for 20 years. Uh, There hasn't been such a thing uh, as a national assembly where they came together before the man of God and he sacrificed for them and he covered their sins uh, and he made reconciliation between them and God. That hasn't taken place uh, for 20 years uh, because you can't do that when you're oppressed. Uh, You can't do that when you're living under the hand of of an enemy that has defeated you. But Samuel said, now is the time let's go to mitzvah and let's offer sacrifice unto God at mitzvah the bible said they drew water and they poured it out before the lord seemed like an odd sacrifice I know of one other place in scripture the feast of tabernacles where water is offered as a sacrifice unto God on an annual basis by the Israelites but Seemed to be an odd sacrifice to make, to draw water and pour it out. I got to do some studying on the significance of what they did. The water poured out on the ground signified their weakness, their weakness and their powerlessness. As a nation, and this is actually referenced later in, in 1 Samuel, as a nation, God said they were like water that had been spilled on the ground that could not be gathered again. You know, you you can contain your water in your cup, but when you spill it, you're never getting it all back in the cup. 
You, you can't bring any unity back to it. You can't get it all gathered back together. And when they came into the presence of God and they poured that water out in the presence of God, they were expressing uh, their dependence on God. They recognized uh, the work that needs to be done here is bigger than we are. Uh, the work that needs to be done in our nation uh, is bigger than what we can do. Uh, the work that needs to be done in our church uh, is bigger than what we can do. The work that needs to be done in my home, uh, it's bigger than what I can do. Uh, the work that needs to be done in my finances, on my, my workplace, uh, the miracle that I need God to do for me, it's beyond my ability. It's beyond what I can do. The offering was not about what they could bring to God. They didn't bring a bullock. They didn't bring a ram. They, they didn't bring a spotless lamb. They didn't even bring a turtle dove. It was about what they could not bring. Uh, amen. They, they as a nation were broken and they were scattered. Uh, they could not revive themselves. They could not restore themselves. They could not bring unity again uh, to their nation. Uh, and as the water from hundreds of pitchers uh, was poured out on the ground uh, and began to spread asunder, they were declaring uh, their absolute and utter dependence on God. We cannot save uh, ourselves. Uh, we're like that water uh, that's poured out before us. Uh, God, we can't do this by ourselves. Uh, we need your help. Uh, we need your blessing. Uh, we need your hand. We need you to do what only you can do. I'm going to tell you something. We need God to do a work in this church that we can't do. I need God to do a work in this congregation that I can't do. Uh, amen. It takes the hand of God to do what God wants to do in the city of Lake City. It takes the hand of God to do what God wants to do in this church uh, among this congregation. We can't save ourselves. We don't have enough ability to do it. We don't have enough talent to do it. We don't have enough money to do it. We can't save ourselves. We need the hand of God. The Bible says that in addition to the offering of water, they further express their repentance by fasting. They fasted that day. I'm going to tell you something. You neglect fasting at your own risk. You neglect the discipline of fasting to the detriment of your spirituality. There is nothing that sends a message to the carnal man that I'm getting my heart back on track with. I'm really serious about this repentance like fasting does. So they fasted in the presence of God. They, they acknowledged verbally here. They, they've repented in private. And now they stand together as a nation and they say, we have sinned against the Lord. The text said that while they were seeking the forgiveness of God, the Philistines heard that they were gathered together all in one place, all for one purpose. And the enemy saw that new unity among the Israelites as a threat to their dominion and their authority. So they gathered together an army to go to war against them. Ain't that just like the devil? Holy Ghost is moving and the battery goes dead. 
The power of God is moving and everything seems to come against you. You say, I'm going to get closer to God. This week I'm going to, I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray and I'm going to seek God. It seems like all hell breaks loose and everything comes unglued and you can't find peace anywhere in your life and you can't find any even a moment to rest. It seems like everything comes undone because when God starts blessing, the devil shows up and rears his ugly head and he begins to try to scare you. He begins to try to demean you. He begins to try to rob you of your faith. Uh, he begins to try to put fear in your heart. Uh, he begins to try to convince you uh, you're not good enough. Uh, let me tell you something. God doesn't care whether or not you're good enough. Uh, he doesn't want you to get good enough. Uh, he just wants you to get God enough. Uh, because if you get God enough, he'll make you good enough. Uh, amen. If you get your heart into his hands uh, and you get your life into his presence uh, and you go ahead and you push through and you fast and you pray and you break through. Uh, amen. It doesn't matter whether or not you are good enough uh, because he's always going to be God enough. And so the people of God began to reach out in faith and the enemy came and began to try to disrupt what was happening there, began to try to break up the revival that was being birthed there. And so he arrayed himself in a mighty host and came against them. The Bible said when they saw them coming, it struck fear in their hearts. They were afraid. I want you to understand their plight. This was not the mighty Israel that, that has stood on the battlefields and been triumphant in the past. These were broken people. These were people 20 years of defeat, 20 years of being slaves, 20 years of being servants, 20 years of, of being subject to the Philistines. They, they, they didn't have a standing army because they didn't have any weapons. Their oppressor had robbed them of their weapons. They didn't have any swords to carry to battle. They didn't have any shields to take out onto the battlefield. They, they didn't have any weapons of warfare. Amen. Whenever an army oppresses a nation, that's the first thing they do is rob them of their ability to make war. Uh, and the Philistines have lorded over the Israelites now for 20 years. Uh, and they're gathered there at Mitzvah, and the enemy comes against them. The enemy's arrayed, arrayed in the, the finery of his, his shields and his arms and his swords and his spears and his bowmen and there's not a man among the Israelites that has a sword. Uh, there's not a man among the Israelites that has a shield, that has armor, that has a bow and an arrow. There isn't any way that they can go to war. Uh, they've lost the weapons of their warfare. That's another thing the devil likes to do. Uh, he likes to rob you uh, of the weapons of your warfare. Uh, he likes to rob you uh, of your prayer life. Let me tell you something. Uh, you sacrifice the discipline of prayer uh, at your own parents. Uh, you sacrifice the weapon uh, that God has given you to the detriment of your own soul. Uh, amen. Their situation was helpless because they didn't have any weapons to fight their enemy with. Without a miracle from God, they were going to be crushed. They were going to be destroyed. They came to Samuel and they said, don't stop. Whatever you do, keep praying. Whatever you do, keep interceding. Whatever you do, don't stop crying out to God. Whatever you do, what they're, what they're saying is, we need God. We can't do this on our own. We can't, we can't solve this dilemma. The weapons of our warfare, amen, we, we don't have what it takes to get it done. We, we don't have what it takes uh, uh, to, 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 to uh, attack him physically, but there is a weapon that the enemy can't take from us. There is an, he, he can take away our swords. 
He can take away our shields. He can take away our bows and our arrows. He can even take away our our plowshares and our hoes and our hooks and the things that we can use to make weapons, improvised weapons. But he can't take away our prayer. He can't take away that voice that goes up to heaven. So whatever you do, don't stop praying. Whatever you do, don't stop calling out to God. They said, whatever you do, don't don't hesitate a moment. We came here to seek the face of God, and we're committed to that. And when they did that, and they called out to God, and they continued on, even as their enemy came against them, they invoked a weapon that was mightier than any weapon that their enemy had. They invoked a power that was greater than any power that was come against them. So here's the scene. The enemy is arrayed against them in all their might and strength. And the defenseless Israelites are crying out to God for their salvation. He is their only hope. And Samuel takes a lamb. And he begins to offer it as a burnt offering unto God. And the Bible said in that moment, that very moment as the Israelites prayed, and while Samuel was offering a sacrifice, the Philistines decided then was a good time to attack. And while the lamb is still burning on the altar, and while Samuel and the people are still kneeling before the altar, the Bible said the Lord thundered with a great thunder and panic seized uh, the Philistines and all of a sudden the tables were turned uh, the mighty was made weak uh, and the weak was emboldened uh, and the Israelites uh, rose up from that place uh, uh, where they had been depressed, where they had been beaten down, uh, where they had been robbed of their strength uh, and their vitality and they rose up and they went to war against an enemy that was more and mightier than them but by the hand of God uh, they prevailed uh, by the hand of God. Uh, They won a wonderful victory. They broke the hold uh, of the Philistines. They ended that time of dominion over them. And when the battle was finally over, Samuel did a peculiar thing. After 20 years of living in defeat, after 20 years of living without the presence of God in their midst, after 20 years of brokenness, and defeat. Samuel wanted to make sure that future generations would always remember what God had done for them when they repented before him. Samuel wanted to make sure that younger generations that would come along behind them would always be reminded that God hears the prayers of his people and that he is faithful to deliver them from the hand of their enemy. So the Bible says that Samuel took a stone and set it up on the scene of the battle and he called the stone Ebenezer saying, Hitherto the Lord has helped us. In Hebrew, the word Ebenezer is a two-part word, a compound word of two Hebrew words. One means stone and one means a help. And the the translation of Ebenezer is a, a stone of 
help. That stone named Ebenezer was intended to be a lasting stone of testimony to the people of God. It was intended to be a continual reminder for generations to come that God has been our helper. That we got this far because he brought us this far. That we didn't get here by our own hand. That we didn't deliver ourselves from the Philistines. That God has been our provider. He's made a way for us when there seemed to be no way. He is the God who is our help. He is the God who works miracles on our behalf. He is the God who does the impossible thing. He is the one that thundered from the heavens. He is the one that shook the mountains. He is the one that brought our enemy to his knees. And every generation would look upon that Ebenezer stone and remember the mighty testimony of the provision of God. Every generation would see that great Ebenezer stone sitting there by itself in the middle of an empty field and they would know that stone didn't get there by itself. There's got to be something significant about that stone. Hey, why don't you tell me what does the stone mean? And when they inquired about uh, the Ebenezer stone, uh, somebody would sit down with him uh, and begin to tell them a story uh, that would be told over and over and over again throughout the history of the Israelites. Uh, A story uh, about 20 years of darkness, uh, about 20 years of oppression, uh, about 20 years of defeat, uh, and about a day uh, that God brought about total and complete victory. That's what the Ebenezer Stone stands for. The Ebenezer Stone, Samuel said, hitherto the Lord has helped us. That means that this far God has brought us. This far God has helped us. I don't know exactly where he put the stone. The Bible said it was in between the place where they were and, and another place. Uh, some commentators think that he, he put the stone at the, as far as they pressed uh, against the, where, where the, as far as the victory stretched uh, against the Philistines. I don't know exactly why he picked the place uh, that he picked, but he said this far, uh, God has brought us this far. Uh, amen. God has brought us to this place. Uh, it is by the help of God. Uh, it is by the hand of God. It is by the blessing of God. It is by the deliverance of God. And what that stone tells me is if he brought us this far, then he'll take us that far. If he brought us to this place, then he's going to take us to the next place. If he delivered us from that enemy, then he's going to deliver us from the next enemy. That the God who has done it before, he is the God that will do it again. An Ebenezer stone is about the testimony of what God has done in my life up to this point. David stood before King Saul and Saul doubted his ability to fight the mighty giant named Goliath. He told him, you're you're too young, you're too small. The armor doesn't fit. You, you, you don't have what it takes. You need, you need something else. You need some other kind of help. Uh, and David began to recount. Uh, I want to tell you what God's done for me. Let me take you to my Ebenezer stone. 
Let me take you to the place of memorial and testimony. Let me tell you what God has already done in my life because if I can remember what he's already done, then I can have the faith to believe in what he's about to do. If I can remember the miracle that he's already worked, if I can remember the deliverance that he's already wrought, if I can remember the hand of God that's already worked in my life, then I can find the faith to believe. He's going to give me the miracle that I need here. I need now. There was a line. And by the hand of God, he delivered me. There was a bear. And by the hand of God, he delivered me. Tell me, what is this filthy Philistine? What is this uncircumcised Philistine against the God that I serve? Amen. What is this giant when he's compared to the great God that has delivered me over and over and over again? Come on, everybody, under the sound of my voice, you've got an Ebenezer stone. You've got a testimony. Amen. You've got a story you can tell. You've got a remembrance of what God has done in your life. You've got a remembrance of the delivering hand of God. You've got a reason to worship him. You've got a reason to magnify him. You've got a reason to give him glory and honor and praise. And I'm going to tell you something right now. Whatever it is that you're facing in life, it may seem bigger than you are. It may seem like an impossible obstacle, uh, but the key to overcoming uh, is to remember the Ebenezer stone. Uh, remember what God has done. Uh, remember how you got this far. Remember where he brought you from, uh, because if he brought you from there, uh, he's going to take you where he wants you to be. Our priority this month is the church. Priority church. And I'm stirred up about the church today. I've been stirred up about the church a whole week long. I come to tell somebody in this place that there needs to be an immovable stone in your life called the church. There needs to be an Ebenezer stone called the church. There needs to be a place of testimony in your life called the church. There needs to be a place that you go where you remember what God has done for you, where you remember what God has brought you through. An Ebenezer stone that declares to your children, we serve a mighty God. An Ebenezer stone that declares to this community that there's a God who still heals, who still delivers, uh, who still saves. Uh, I'm so thankful for the pictures we got out on the wall uh, of uh, where this church came from. Uh, I'm so thankful for that sign that says uh, that God is in this house uh, because I want you to know he's still here. Uh, amen. He's still. Uh, there was a picture that said, uh, amen, whatever your problem is, God's got a miracle that's bigger than your problem or something along those lines. I want you to know he's still got a miracle that's bigger than your problem. Uh, he's still got an answer that's bigger than your question. Uh, he's still got more power and more authority than your enemy ever dreamed of. An Ebenezer stone that says there is a God who still answers prayer. There is a God who still fights our battles for us. Uh, amen. There is a God who still goes before us in every situation and every circumstance. An Ebenezer stone is a place of memorial. It is a place where we recall the blessings of God. It is a place where we are reminded that God has brought us this far. 
that God has helped us to get to where we are. Some of us need to remember we didn't get here on our own. Come on, some of us need to be reminded every good gift in my life comes from God. Some of us need to be reminded every blessing I've got comes from heaven. Every benefit in my life comes from him. I owe it all to him. I owe who I am to him. I owe what I have to him. I owe every good thing in my life. I owe it to him. He has brought me this far. The Ebenezer Stone causes me to remember I owe him everything. I owe him my liberty. I owe him my blessings. I owe him every good thing in my life. He made me what I am. He gave me the blessings that I have. I haven't earned any of it. I haven't been good enough to get any of it. I, I, didn't get, I got a great job, folks. Lord blessed me several, several years ago, but I didn't earn that job. I didn't, I, I didn't get good enough. God blessed me. I've worked in some bad places. I, I know what it is to work in some difficult situations. I want you to know God brought me this far. Uh, amen. God gave me this. Uh, amen. I, I've had some blessings in my life, uh, but none of them came because of anything I did. Uh, none of them came to me because of any good that's in me. I want you to know God has done this. Uh, God has brought me this far. That's my Ebenezer stone talking it reminds me when I look in the mirror in the morning. I, I didn't get here by myself. I, I didn't get here by my own power. I, I didn't cause this to happen to me. God has been good to me. Some of us need to remember. Some of us need to be reminded. Some of us need to understand uh, everything I've got in my life uh, came from him. Uh, everything I've got that's good, uh, I owe it all to him. Uh, that's my Ebenezer stone that reminds me. Amen. He is my blessing God. Yes. He has brought me this far. The church needs to be that kind of thing in your life. It needs to be an Ebenezer stone. It needs to be a constant memorial of the testimony of what God has done for us. It needs to be an everlasting testimony that we share with the generations that are coming behind us. Our kids need to hear the stories of our Ebenezer stones. Uh, our kids need to hear the stories uh, of what God has done for us. Your kids need to see you worship uh, in the presence of God. They need to see big tears uh, rolling down your cheeks uh, as you remember the goodness uh, and the blessings of God. Your kids need to know there's a God who still answers prayer. They need to know that you have an immovable rock in your life called the church, that there's an Ebenezer stone uh, that you go back to uh, and where you are reminded uh, of the blessings and the goodness of God. You see, that Ebenezer stone was about more than just a monument. It was about more than just another national memorial. The Ebenezer Stone was about the next generation. It was about the people who would come along years later that wouldn't remember the battle that was fought there. After 20 years of defeat, heart, ache, and pain, and subjection to a ruthless enemy, 
there was a heartfelt burden to ensure that the next generation would never, ever, ever, ever forget the blessings of God. Let me tell you why the church needs to be a priority in your life. Because it is an Ebenezer stone. It is a continual reminder of the goodness and the blessings of God. That stone that they erected that day in that field, it was there to provide the testimony that would keep the people of God from sliding back into the apostasy that they were in for 20 long, dark years. It was the safeguard. If you can just remember what God did, if you can just remember how bad it was, and if you can just remember how great the deliverance was, some of us need to remember where God brought us from. The Bible said that the old song said when I, when I got in this thing and the Lord moved on me that the things of the world grew strangely dim. But it seemed like the, the longer we're in this thing, the, the more we forget how, how bad it really was. The longer we're in this thing, the more we forget how bad the bondage really was. The more we forget how bad and how oppressed we were and how terrible it was and how much we needed God. And we start to think, you know, maybe I can fiddle with this and maybe I can play with this and maybe I, I, can, I can get involved in this and things that you put aside and things that you put away and things that you shut off and you separated yourself unto God. You start to bring them back into your heart and back into your life. Let me tell you why you need the church because you need a reminder of where God's brought you from and where God's taking you to. You need a place that you go and you remember, it's the Lord that brought me this far. You need to be faithful to the church because the church is a constant reminder of who you are, of where you came from, of what God is doing in your life. It is a reminder of the many blessings of God. A stone called Ebenezer. It was about remembering, about remembering and recalling what God has done, how God has helped us. Everybody under the sound of my voice, would you stand with me? Everybody under the sound of my voice has a testimony tonight. You know what God has done for you. You know where God has brought you from. You know that he healed you when you were sick. He delivered you when you were bound. He worked an impossible miracle for you when it seemed like it could not be. He made a way where there seemed to be no way. I'm asking somebody in this place tonight to remember where your blessings come from, to remember where the goodness comes from, to remember the provision of God, to remember the mighty miracles that he's worked for you. This is a place for testimonies. 
This is a place for a memorial. This is a place to share the story of the Ebenezer Stone in your life. I'm asking you in this place tonight as you gather, I'm asking the worshipers to gather in tonight. I know that just a few moments ago, and I haven't preached all that long, just a few moments ago, there was an anointing of the Holy Ghost, an anointing of worship moving in this place. Amen. I know it. I wanted to end this tonight with a, a call to commit to the church, to commit to, to the faithfulness to the church. It is our priority this month, uh, and I believe that, and I want you to commit to that. Uh, but I'm asking you to come to this altar tonight, uh, amen, and remember where God's brought you from. Uh, remember what he's done in your life. Uh, I'm asking you not to come and fall on your face, uh, but to come and lift your hands uh, and come with a song of praise uh, and come with a heart of thanksgiving. Uh, and can we thank him? Lord, you brought me this far. Lord, you delivered me. Lord, you healed my body when I was sick. You brought me out of a dark place. You broke the chains of bondage. I was addicted, and you set me free. Would you?